welcome to the Swimmer Joe Show. And here's your host, Joe Auer. Hello everyone and welcome to the Swimmer Joe Show. This week we have Kathleen Prindle, performance aquatics coach. She has awesome stories and uh, can't wait for you guys to hear them. Take a listen. I grew up in the era of AAU swimming in, um, in northeastern Pennsylvania, and um, you know it was commonplace where you're, you know, we had our science teacher as our as our swim coach, you know, and so there wasn't so much emphasis on um, all the the technical biomechanical details of swimming. It was more like let's learn how to do flip turns, you know, and uh, so it's I think the information that's available to everybody now is so much greater, and I just. I think there's a lot of reasons swimming faster nowadays, but I think that's one of them. Yeah, and you, you know, all right. So let's let's talk about Penn State. So you you go to Penn State. You're done. It's I read that somewhere they had 37 years experience. Are you even 37 years old? For goodness' sake, I mean. Oh, honey, I'm older than that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, holy smokes! Yeah. I'm like. Yeah. Yeah, I graduated from high school in 1989, so you can do that math. Oh wow! Speak it out loud. That's yeah. yeah, We're about the same age. We're about we're about the same age. I'm maybe a yeah. tick. I'm maybe a tick older, but I'm not going to even <laughs> talk about that. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So listen, oh. you're down in you're down in Boca. Um, tell me a little bit about your program and um, performance aquatics. You've been around for gosh, what five years now? Um, tell me a little bit yeah, about about the program. Okay. Well. That's my favorite topic. Of course. <laughs> I talk about these things. Um, no, we have um, we have a uh, performance aquatics is a we're it, we're hitting our five year anniversary in the beginning of July, um, so we're really proud of that milestone. Um, and it's it's a pretty unique program because, as you know, down here in South Florida, we are surrounded by top of the line excellent programs with excellent coaches. Um, and we, it's a, it's a bit of a difficult market, but what we try to do is, is be a little different from um, our friends and neighbors that are literally right down the street from us. And so our approach is kind of a top-down approach instead of a bottoms-up approach. So, you know, your standard swim team model is start with a learn to swim program, start an age group team, bring in some volume, some numbers, and and develop your coaches and your swimmers, and over a period of 10 years, you might get a senior program, hopefully if you're good enough to do that. Um, and so we started kind of the opposite way, and um, after all those years of coaching and, and teaching lessons and doing all the things that I've done, um, you know, the athlete that I relate the best to is the senior athlete, and the athlete I get the most joy out of working with is the senior athlete. I love to be um, someone's either final coach or second to final coach, um, before they leave the sport, and um, so we decided to, to, you know, launch a swim team with this sort of top-down model instead of a bottoms-up. And I'm super proud that, you know, again we're in our fifth year and um, you know very successful, and um, we've stayed true to the mission, which is a little bit hard to do um, because as you as you build your reputation in the community, more and more people want to come to you, and I've. Uh, had to turn a lot of people away because the mission of our program was to be a very small program with a lot of focus on one-on-one coaching with athletes between the athlete and the coach um, and 
that goes for swimmers, whether they're in, at the high school level or, or beyond. Um, and we think that that's the best way. It's the best way for me as a coach to get results out of my athletes. So when you, um, and so that's what we did. So that's, and, and that's great. What, when, when you say top down, your lowest age is what, 13? All right. Yeah, we start, we, we, well, when I started the team, it was 15 and older. Wow. Um, and I decided to um, go to 13 because what I found is that when I would get kids and they'd be 15, it, there wouldn't be enough time. I wouldn't have enough time with them to, to make the kind of uh, fundamental changes that I felt were necessary for that athlete to, to improve as fast and as much as they could improve. So we went to 13 because we can make changes. You know, we can affect a lot more change in that in that two-year period of time. Um, so, our, yeah, our competitive our competitive team pack is uh, 13 and older. We also have a separate arm, like two arms on a body, two different arms. Um, and our other arm is um, a more, we call it pre-pack, but it's more developmental approach. And we'll, we'll take them when they're 12. But once again, we, we are insistent that we are not running an age group program. There's honestly so many excellent age group programs right around us that one more isn't going to make a difference. So um, we, you know, we decided to stick with what we do best, and that's how we've done it. So, so you've got a, um, you got a lot of things that you've probably learned by taking these athletes at a later stage in their career, and, I, and it's so funny because teens is really not a later stage; you're really just kind of getting into. Yeah. So, but but what have you learned from taking these older kids um, that you didn't think you were going to learn? Uh, there's just something that's come to you that goes, "Wow, I didn't know that," or that this actually works for for kids this age, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Well, I think two things. I think first of all, it's important that you, as a coach, understand um, and have a point of view, and and you have a way of approaching training and a philosophy around training that you really firmly believe in, because you're going to be asked to defend it every day. And that is great because I, I, that's what I love the best. If I give a set and, and an athlete says to me, well, I'm not really sure what the purpose of this set is, I need to know to be able to explain what, what I'm trying to achieve, why we're doing this, why it's important for their development. Um, and and that's, um, I knew that before, but the joy for me is really having uh, the opportunity to explain it to athletes. And sometimes for, for, for many of us when we're coaching um, some younger kids, Certainly you can explain and you should explain the reasons for that set or the reasons for this meet or whatever, but sometimes going into too much detail will just, you'll lose their interest and it'll defeat purpose. So often you just have to say, you know, do this drill and just have them do it. But at this, um, with the older athletes, they really, they're, they're invested in their own careers. Um, and so the why of it becomes more and more important. So, you, um, so you, that's, no, so you, I mean, so you've worked with not just swimmers, but other athletes as well, correct? Yeah, yeah, and I think when it comes to that, communication is the key. For example, we have a, a, a pentathlete from Ireland who is so lovely, um, and it was hilarious, a hilarious learning curve trying to work with her because she's, I think, at time number one in Ireland in the swim, or not in the swim, sorry, in the run, um, and then I think in the fencing and the whatever else, swimming, she was nearly dead last on her national team. I mean, in the pentathlon, modern pentathlon, you know it's 200 freestyle time. Um, and 
you know, in the U.S., we don't even really talk to people unless they can go 210 at a pretty young age, long force and 200 freestyle. Well, her 200 freestyle was 230, <laughs> but she's still, she's, she's an elite athlete. And so you have to find a way to communicate and teach a lifetime of swimming stuff to somebody who really basically can't swim <laughs> and have to learn pretty quickly because they have to compete at a high level. And that, that, that learning curve is, is huge. And then of course, we, we do a, we work with a lot of international um, athletes, mostly swimmers, but all types. But just the terminology is funny. For example, this this young woman, her name is Sally. She would refer to flip turns as tumblers. <laughs> and, you know, and I for a while I was like, what the heck is a tumbler? What are we? You know, if we're not in tumbling class, you know. And um, and then other things were just culturally funny. So she was having a down day. I asked her if she had hydrated enough, and she said no, but. I had a spoonful of Nutella. Oh my gosh! That, that, that's their their way of perking themselves up at practice. So just culturally, just funny things like that. Um, that's that, but that's for me. That's again the joy. That's what keeps it interesting because um, everybody's coming for the same purpose. They want to improve in swimming um, at whatever level they're arriving, but they're culturally from so many different places. So I think that the skill of communication. Um, I always knew that it was critical, but what I learned is that that is probably my most critical skill to have, to be able to explain something 50 different ways and using, um, you know, terminology that works in other countries. And that's been super fun, but super challenging. So that's funny. Did she, did she ever say, okay, coach, let's, I, I don't know what the, what do you call it? Dual in fencing? I mean, does she ever challenge you to a fencing duel? Oh, um, we don't fence anymore. I have a kind of a funny story about that. I had a post grad, um, and we, we I took my team. This was in 2013. I took them up to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado, and um, huh, we thought it would be fun. So the pentathlon people said, "Hey, you know, we're trying to expose swimmers to the sport of pentathlon. How about you guys come on over? We'll give you a shooting lesson and a fencing lesson." And we agreed, and we said, well, that'll be neat, something interesting and different to do on a training trip. And I had a sprinter post-grad of mine blow out her ACL sensing. Nice. Yeah, it, it was traumatic, and it was a very difficult uh, road to recovery for her, not so much, uh, really not so much physically, because her body responded very well to the surgery and the rehab, but more psychologically, because you can't train a sprinter as a sprinter if they have no explosiveness in their legs for a year and a half. Oh, wow. So um, it was, it talked about, you know, working with older athletes every day was a big discussion on why, why can't I sprint? Why can't I sprint? I want to dive off the block. I want to do, you know, fast things off the walls. And, um, you know, it was a bit of a sales job to try to help her understand that um, sprinting too soon and trying to get that explosiveness in the leg, which is always the last thing to return after a knee surgery, um, you know, getting her to buy into the concept that it's going to take some time and you're going to have to continue to train and, and get your explosiveness somewhere else because you're not going to be able to get it actually sprinting for now. So that was that was a big learning learning experience for, for me as a coach, for sure. Not, not a bad story either, really. I mean, it's some good stuff. Yeah, no. Uh, I went back a year later and I had a different group of kids and I was taking them on a tour 
and they walk but they walk us by the by the fencing building and they the tour guide who had no idea who we were made a comment about how swimmers are no longer allowed to fence at the OCC That's because funny. there was a team and they had an athlete, a very you know, very successful athlete blow out her ACL and I was like, Yeah, that that is a <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but it's so no. The, the long answer is no. We we don't fence, and we, we're I'm never fencing again. I'm not against fencing, but not for swimmers. It's that lateral motion of the leg that we're not used to doing, and you know swimmers can be aggressive and competitive, as which is what happens when we were up there, and uh, we want to win. So true. Um, danger can ensue. <laughs> yeah. So you're a very busy lady. You you're on uh, boards and you're on the FHSA board. You're on the USA Swimming Senior Development Executive Committee. You are on the ASCA Board of Directors. Um, man, tell me about all those. I mean, how do you how do you keep all those uh, in check? Well, I don't sleep, but um, I actually gave up my uh, my my term was up on the FHSA advisory board. Um, so I I let that one take a rest for a while and. Um, Actually, Jay Fitzgerald from Pinecrest ended up taking my position. Um, it's by election, so I just didn't even rerun um, because of it. You know, I it, I did. It's busy. Being on a board is great, it, and you know, I'm also on our on our LSC before Gold Coast Board of Directors too. And um, but I think it's important that you participate. Just being there is to me not enough. So if it was as easy as just showing up at the meetings and sitting there and being a warm body. I think it would be easier to manage, but for me personally, it's important that I at least, you know, I, I try to make a contribution as much as my skill set will allow me to. So um, that's what takes a lot of times. I end up uh, a lot of time. I end up um, being on a bunch of committees and doing a lot of. I like to do the behind the scenes work, so um, I, I love that stuff. But it, it's definitely a juggling act because obviously my first priority is my team and my athletes. Um, and I am married, so I have a husband. <laughs> and, uh, he know, never so sees I'm, you. you know, he never sees you at all. I know, but luckily for me, he's, he's in love with golf. I, I would say married golf first. So, um, you know, it's, that expression of being a golf widow doesn't really apply because I'm always at swimming pool. So we're kind of even. <laughs> That's good for both of <laughs> you. even that way. So the, the, the USA Swimming Senior Development Executive Committee, what is that and what do you do there? Oh, I, I really, I'm so honored to be on this committee. In fact, we just had a conference call today. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a perfect committee for, again, my interest level uh, and, and, you know, the, the kind of athletes that I work with and, and my interest in swimming. Um, but really, we are, there are several committees within USA Swimming, um, and this one is geared towards all things senior development. And so um, the nuts and bolts of things are simple. For example, today we went over um, some of the time standards for winter juniors. Um, and so this committee is the committee that sets the time standards for basically all of the USA swimming meets except for US trials. Um, that is, that's the national team director and, and his um, people that determine the trials. But, but everything else is really determined by the senior development committee. Um, a couple years ago, we uh, worked really hard to pass some legislation that would sort of serve to streamline the sectional meets across the nation um, because they're so varied between LSC and even within an LSC. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we felt that as, as one of our challenges as senior development is to focus on the, the, the progression or the pipeline of our athletes 
and um, so the sectional meet um, was was a big part of that. So we did that a few years ago. Last year, um, we instituted the futures meet um, as another step in um, in the pipeline, another big meet for athletes to attend, um, and we're really proud of that. So this summer will be the second year for futures. Um, and so we work on things like that. Um, in the past, last year we've, we've been reevaluating the, the uh, club excellence. I don't know if you know a lot about that. It's sort of a, oh, an award thing, a recognition program for clubs. Um, and it was instituted in, I want to say, 2000, 2000, or I could be wrong and it could be 2002. But either way, it's been, you know, 15 years since um, since the program was created, and it's an excellent program, but what we're trying to do is address the changing demographics of clubs um, today in the U.S. and the size of clubs and how, you know, the average age of athletes within clubs and um, try to make that club excellence program, um, uh, uh, you know, able to reflect the changing times and the, the, the way that club demographics have changed over the years. So yeah. it's a really, it's a really interesting committee. They do a lot of good work. That, that is a lot of work. I mean, I, like I said earlier, I mean, I don't know how you'd put it all together. I mean, there's so much stuff to do. It seems like. Well, I'm just a little tiny cog in the wheel, you know, it's just, I'll just, everyone does their part and somehow it all gets done. Um, but it is a really exciting, it's, it's an exciting, it's an exciting committee. And again, it's, it's, full of passionate, passionate coaches who really care about um, where our sport is going and obviously um, our performance at, at prior and upcoming Olympic Games is always, is always you know, a major focus and how can we help at the club level uh, bring athletes along. And now athletes are getting older and they're staying in the sport longer and how can clubs um, be a part of that and support that because for so many years it was 18 and under athletes were in clubs and 18 and over athletes went to their college program. True. But even as, the, you know, and I don't know, I'm, I'm more of a club person, much less of a college person, but um, as the, even as the college landscape is changing, you know, we need to make sure that we have um, good resources for our athletes so that if they want to stay in the sport, they can. So, all right. So, look, you've been, you, you've been coaching for, for quite a while. At what point did you go, you know what? I think I, I could be a successful coach. I mean, when did that light bulb go off in your head? Well, I was about nine. Nine? <laughs> so, yeah, actually, my grandmother, this is kind of a neat story, my grandmother, who passed, she passed away in 1995, so a long time ago. But she uh, not only taught me how to swim, she was my first coach. She taught me how to teach swimming. She taught me how to coach. She was an Olympic trials qualifier in 1936. Um, and she, um, you know, basically dedicated her life to swimming and I just was so impacted by that. And that kind of brought us together as, as, um, you know, as, as a grandmother and a, and a granddaughter could be. And she was the one that, you know, went to my meets. She was a very successful coach locally. Um, she's actually the first woman inducted into a sports hall of fame in, in, in our area and for swimming. So that was a very exciting thing. Um, and so from, from young, I was interested in helping and teaching other people about the sport that I love so much. And there's a very big family connection because she, she taught me how to love the sport. Um, so that's really when, I mean, and then even, even throughout my own swimming career, I was okay, you know, whatever, but, um, always more interested in helping my teammates and figuring out, you know, the why behind 
you know, why my swim was good or not good or why my, my teammate's swim was good or not good. And so it's just sort of always been part of, part of, you know, my makeup is trying to get, dig deeper than that is a big, good swim or bad swim and figure out why and then figure out a way to change it. And um, so it, the coach part didn't happen officially till later. So I coached, I coached a lot, you know, it's, high school and in college, you know, summer jobs and whatnot. Um, and then when I graduated from college and I moved to New York City and I had already, I had retired from swimming. I didn't swim really much in college at all. Um, and it was a very difficult decision to make for me to make. Um, and I remember my grandmother saying to me, well, you know, if, if you're meant to be by the pool, you'll find your way back to a pool. And she was right. And, you know, I moved to New York City. I'm working in the fashion industry and I'm, having nothing to do with swimming and I missed it and I ended up starting um, a master's team I started an age group team um, I assisted a, a coach there who was starting a division three women's program and uh, and then before I knew it I was running home you know catching subway and running home so I could get to the pool in time for swim practice and I was more interested with generating workouts for my master's team and, and getting my age group to work to the next level etc cetera, etc cetera. and when I realized that that was consuming more of my passion than, than, than being in fashion, which I love too. But um, that's when I really realized that someday I could make a full-time career out of it, not just a little side job. You know, a lot of the coaches that I talk to, um, they they have a big moment or two where they, I mean, even, even all the guys, girls, whatever that I talk to, I go, what's your biggest moment ever or biggest memory ever as a coach? And you know, a lot of them go, this memory brought a tear to my eye. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. So what is yeah. your biggest memory or one of your biggest memories? Well, I have a dual answer to that because I am a firm believer in trying to appreciate the journey and, and appreciate every day for all the good and the bad that it may bring. Um, and so my big aha moments happen frequently, several times a week when I'll be at practice and I'll just look and go, wow. You know, look at these kids working their butts off, and I created this, and I'll get a tear in my eye, and I'll just be really grateful for um, the opportunity to impact so many young people. So, so on the day to day, that's very real. It sounds so hokey, but it's totally real. Um, for me, the big aha moment, though, was um, my first Olympic child, uh, which was in 2008, and I was um, I was there as an assistant. Um, to uh, one of my mentors, and um, we had, I think we had seven or eight, I forget, athletes as a child, um, and we were working with um, Dara Torres, who's amazing, and she she made the team, and that was, I mean, being part of that journey with her for the, the four years prior, and also, um, you know, being able to share that and go through that process was, was life-changing. But I think if I had to pin it down to a moment um, beyond the elation of God, we actually got a swimmer on the team, was my, my, my old head coach, his name was Michael Lundberg, um, was infamous for doing this stuff to me. He used to do this all the time. He would drop me into situations that I really wasn't ready for and, you know, see if I would sink or swim. And so at trials, when you have an athlete that makes a team, and of course I knew nothing, like this was all new to me. And so they, they have a meeting after, and they bring in all the private coaches of all the different athletes that made the team, and they talk strategy with them. And they ask, they kind of go around the room and ask them to talk about 
their, their particular athlete and what kind of training they offered and that kind of thing. Um, and I remember uh, Michael asking if I wanted to attend the meeting. Obviously, of course, I was going to attend the meeting. And then he made me go by myself. <laughs> and I mean, here's me, like little assistant. You know, I'm just so excited to be there. You know, it, it, in the presence of these people, these athletes, and these coaches, and um, and they're going around the room and they're like, "So, you know, we tell us what there is training and tell us everything you've done." And I don't think I've ever been so terrified in my life. My my throat was dry. I was I was oh, I'm sure I sounded like an idiot, but um, but that was a big aha because that was when I realized that this is what I want to do. This is exciting. This is the level of athlete that I love to work with, this, this intensity is the intensity that I love. So, so the, the moment was in a meeting at Olympic Trials in 2008 that really I went, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing anything else. This is what I want to do. That is until a, that point, yeah. That's a great moment. I mean, that is awesome. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm for, I mean, who gets a chance? I mean, I just happen to be lucky enough to be there, you know? And, wow. And, and to have that, when you're, when you're offered... Or when you're when life presents you with an opportunity like that, you need to li- you need to listen to that and decide. You know, and, and, and it, moments like that can be life changers for people if they just know to pay attention to them. I think absolutely. So, what's the next big thing for you? Meaning, you know, what's in the future for you? Are we um, business as usual, or are we? Do we got something up our sleeve for future? Uh, no, I really I don't have much up my sleeve. <laughs> um, I think I think for now um, I'm really happy, sort of proving to the world that that a new way of running a club can also work. Because right now um, the standard is, you know, you want two hundred, you need you need 100 families to be profitable, or you need 200 families to to win a championship. And you know, there's all these statistics out there about what what makes a club successful or not successful. Um, and so I'm really having a good time. Um, le- learning every single day, making mistakes every single day, but but also um, sort of challenging, I guess, the status quo on, on what, what a successful club is, and, and there's lots of different ways to achieve that. Um, and ironically, club swimming was never my interest, ever in my life, ever. So when you asked about coaching, I, you know, wanted, you know, obviously I wanted to coach, but I, I really wanted to coach um, in, for college funding, I wanted to really work with a Division One program. There's, I have, a, I have a list that is still on my computer that, um, you know, I that are, were the only programs I would be willing to to work with, and you know, all of this stuff. And you know, life just takes you funny ways. So um, when I was doing, the, I was, I had actually taken a step back and taken an assistant job when we moved to Florida because. Um, it, for an opportunity to work with a legendary coach like Michael Loberg was, you know, again, an opportunity that I was able to recognize and go ahead and do that um, and learn so much, and I'm so grateful that I did. Um, but upon his passing, um, kind of two things happened. He passed away, um, and so how? what was the best way for me to continue sort of the legacy that he left and the work and, and the, 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 the skills that he taught me? So that was one thing. Another thing was that um, I was I was awarded a fellowship with ASCA in 2010, which was the year before he passed away, and we did a project. And so ASCA fellowships are really really cool. If anyone's interested in them, they 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 really expose you to the bigger picture of the sport. And um, that year the project was Club Voice, and it was really a, a project 
we were charged with exploring sort of the state of club swimming in the U.S. and what was good and what was bad and what was needed, et cetera. And after, I just did a complete 180. So after being involved in that project for a year and then having my own mentor pass away, you know, who was the head coach of a very successful club down here in South Florida, um, all of a sudden I just found myself being an advocate for club swimming. And, um, and so I've just run with that. So, again, long answer, but I think the next few years, I, I think my mission is just to keep, keep doing a good job um, with PAC and keep advocating for clubs and for club coaches everywhere for, and for athletes that want to train with their clubs. Man. I think that's, um, that's important. Man, truly, truly inspirational. All right, so we have a few questions that we ask everybody. So you're ready for them? They're kind of fun. I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're seated first in the Olympics. And what's your what's your event? What's your event? Uh, back in the day, back in the day, it was 100 free. Okay, you're seated first in the Olympics in the 100 free. Okay, what uh-huh. is what is your walkout song that they're playing for? You know, sixty thousand oh, people. All right, well, the OG walkout was We Will Rock You From Queen. Remember that? You swam in the 80s. Oh, yeah. I mean, who didn't walk out to that song? Oh, yeah. I, I can only imagine if I, if I, which it's laughable to conceive, but if I were in an Olympic final in my 40s, I would probably still walk out to that. But honestly, anything, probably anything, anything by Led Zeppelin, anything by early Guns N' Roses, ACDC, like heavy guitar 80s rock would get me ready to race. I don't know if that's a that's kind of a general answer. No, that's, like to name an actual song. No, that's great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I always, when, when I used to coach, I, um, I would, they would listen to the music. I'm like, and, you, and when I would listen to music, I'm like, my heart rate is going up a little bit. And I'm like, do I want, do I want my heart rate to go up before I swim? But anyway, all right. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I'd rather have like elevator music or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, who would play Kathleen Prindle in your life movie? Oh, you, you warned me that this was going to be a question. I actually gave this a lot of thought because, you know, honestly, someone twenty and and young would be ideal. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but I think realistically. Um, I asked some family and friends, and I got some interesting answers, which I won't share. But I think probably um, J Law, Jennifer Lawrence, might be a good person to play me um, because um, I think her mouth gets her in trouble sometimes, and so does mine. And um, she's really clumsy, and so am I. Um, but otherwise, she's a great actress, and so I think she could she could play me. Very, very good, very good. I so when we're talking one day on the deck, I want you to. I want you to let me know about what your cousins and everybody said. Oh, God. <laughs> um, all right, so last question, and I'll let you go. Um, who is someone that you would like to meet? Anyone, anytime? Oh, no. Um, and why? Okay. All right, so I, I actually did not pre-think about this question. My top answer, top of the head answer would be Albert Einstein, I think. Hmm. Um I think my, my father was a, he's retired now, but he was a nuclear physicist. So my first word, my first sentence was equals MC squared. And of course, I had no idea what that meant. And I kind of still don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, 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 
he people thought he was insane. Um, literally, they thought he was insane, and um, he maybe he was. But his way of looking at the world um, opened up so many doors for so many people, and I think it's because he wasn't really just willing to accept the status quo. Um, and so, scientific obviously, scientific revelations are are you know instrumental to our civilization's development. But but also, if you ever look at any of his quotes and stuff, he just he really appreciated that life is a journey. And I wonder, uh, I'd love to sit with him and, um, you know, find out, like, what he would have done differently in his life and what he was proud of. I think that would be fascinating. Well, that's a great, that's a great closer right there. Kathleen, thank you very much for joining us and good luck with all that you do and certainly an inspiration. Okay. And, and, you know, I didn't know a lot of that stuff about you, so thanks for joining us. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun to talk to you. You've been listening to The Swimmer Joe Show. For more information about Joe or anything you've heard in this podcast, head to floridaswimnetwork.com.